0: We to look at our text this morning in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to pick up here in verse 37. This is just after the Holy Spirit has fallen on the early disciples. And Peter has preached his first gospel message to a great crowd there in Jerusalem. And we will see their response to this sermon. So Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 37. I invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word. If you're not able to stand, I encourage you to stand in your heart's uh, today. He says, Now when they had heard this, this is Peter's sermon, it says, They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as our Lord will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles'. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, I... Genuinely believe today that you want to speak to your people. God, your word calls us to give attention to the reading of scripture. And God, the, uh, to teach. Lord, even we see it here in this passage this morning. And so Jesus, we don't want to just be going through the motions of uh, just bringing intellect to our minds. And just uh, filling our minds. God, we pray today that you would fill hearts. God, you know the soul. You know the name. You know the life circumstance of every person in this room. And God, I pray today, O oh Lord Jesus, would we all hear your word today. I pray you'd strengthen me, O oh God, for your name and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to continue in our series here at Enon entitled The Discipleship Pathway. And our goal of this series is threefold. And I want to remind you of these regularly. In this series, we want to first state what a disciple is. We want to help everyone understand what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus We also want to illustrate our plan as a church. How we plan to help each and every one of you become greater disciples of Jesus. But also how we, what's our plan to help go and help you make disciples of Jesus. Because this is our call to go out and make disciples of those around us. In this North Jefferson area, there are those who do not know Christ and do not know how to walk with Him. And it's our responsibility to help them in that. And then finally... In this series we want to motivate you to take your next steps in your spiritual journey. Whether that be to further your discipleship with Jesus or some of you are ready to then begin to go and make disciples. So today we're going to talk about what a disciple of Jesus is. Several years ago, after I moved away from Morris, and Kimberly and I, we moved to Memphis. First time, you know, I came out of Morris, moved to a big city, and we were doing college ministry there. And I remember one of our college students came to me and said, Zach, I want to take you out to eat sushi. And, uh, and I told him, I said, man, I, I, don't, I don't really do that. You know, we do fish fries in Alabama. We don't cut it up and eat it on the bank, you know. so." Uh, and, and he said, No, you can, you know, you can eat sushi and it can be cooked. And I was like, okay, all right. So I, I went with him and they brought me out this cooked sushi roll. And, and I took I struggled with the chopsticks. I asked for the fork, you know, and so I, I took the first one, popped it in my mouth, and hey, wasn't that bad. You know, this is this is not that that bad. It was a little dry, though. And but I'm noticing my friend is he's using all these sauces in front of him. And so I'm like, hey, you know, I can do that. And so I take it, and I, the first one I roll it around the first sauce, and I pop it in my mouth. Super salty. And I was like, okay, that's some kind of soy sauce, and I take the second one, and there's some kind of pink sauce there, and I roll it around in there, pop it in my mouth, and, hey, y'all, this stuff's good, okay? I asked him, I said, what's that? He said, they call that yum-yum sauce. I said, well-named, you know, I, I, I like that. But then I got th- the third one, I look, and there's just a little pile of this green stuff on there. I'm like, hey, you know, let's do it. I roll it around real good, and I pop it in my mouth, and, uh, and it was an experience that I'll never forget. It was like the, s- the surface of the sun, had landed on my tongue, had melted and was trying to come out of my nose, you know like it was uh, my eyes were burning, and I said, What in the world is that? he said that 's called wasabi and I said, Well, they should name it the devil 's toothpaste because that is the worst stuff on the planet. But once I got over it, you know I was okay, but the moral of the story is when you can 't define something, it can cause you real problems. When it comes to being a disciple or being able to go make disciples, we need to be able to identify what a disciple of Jesus is. And so this week and the next two weeks, we're going to give you six marks of a disciple of Jesus. In the next few Sundays, we're going to walk into these. And there's so many identifiable actions inside the Christian life. Prayer is something that we should do as Christians, as we'll see this morning. Baptism is something we should do uh, this morning. Attention to God's Word is something we should do uh, this morning. But we wanted to be able to basically boil all those things down into a few discernible actions. And so uh, today, let me give you just what these six marks of Jesus are that we've identified here at Enon. It's probably not the best plan. Somebody's probably got better plans out there, but this is our plan. The, uh, the first mark of somebody who is a disciple of Jesus is that they've entered a relationship with Jesus. The second mark is that they have been connected to a church. We can put that graphic back up on the screen, guys, which shows the, the six marks there. They're connected to the church. The third mark of somebody that is a disciple of Jesus is they are biblically led in life. Fourth is that they are spiritually growing. Fifth is that they are devoted to worship. And then sixth, that they are living sent. Prayer, for instance, would fall under that people who are devoted to worship. Baptism, like we'll talk about this morning, falls underneath those who are connected to the church. But we want to be able to give some markers so that we know where we need to head to further our discipleship journey and also as we're coming alongside others, helping them become disciples of Jesus. Where can we lead them? What's the next steps for those in whom we are discipling? And so... That being said, I want us to look back at Acts chapter 2. And I want us to talk this morning about the first marks of a disciple. And I believe we see them here in Acts chapter 2. Right after this miraculous moment, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. We see that these first followers of Jesus, they do some things that kind of lead us, show us some of these first marks of a disciple. So if you're keeping notes today, the first marker of a disciple, of Jesus is that they have entered into a relationship with Jesus. Now the Bible uses several different terms to describe the one moment when somebody enters into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible makes it clear that none of us are born into this world Followers of Jesus. That just, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter if you were baptized as an infant. It doesn't matter uh, what your parents may have done. Even praying. We do baby dedication here at Enon. We pray over children. But what we're praying for is that that child would one day personally walk into a relationship with Jesus. But none of us come into this world in a relationship with Jesus. There's a moment where we go from not being a follower of Jesus to then we become a follower of Jesus. And the Bible uses several different terms interchangeably to describe this moment. Let me remind you of a few. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the term used when somebody begins a relationship with Jesus is that they have been saved. Now, we if you grew up in church, you've heard this most of your life. If you didn't, you may not have. Romans 10, 13 says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That terminology points us to the fact when somebody enters a relationship with Jesus, they are saved from what? They are saved from their, their their judgment of their sin. They are saved from the wrath of God. They are forgiven. They're saved. Another terminology to describe that moment comes from Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. Where Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter. The kingdom of heaven. The word "converted" means that someone has turned, which reminds us that when somebody enters a relationship with Jesus, they turn away from one matter of life and they turn to following Jesus. They have converted; they have changed their mind on something. And then, in John chapter three is probably my favorite terminology, is one that to describe when somebody comes into a relationship with Jesus is that they are born again. Jesus said, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again." He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now that reminds us when somebody enters a relationship with Jesus, it is discernible. It can be seen. They go from being one person to being a completely different person. They are born again. In the same way that you can look at one diamond and it have many different reflections, many different aspects of the diamond, that's the same way these terms work in somebody entering a relationship with Jesus. It's all one moment. It's all one instant. You go from not being a follower of Jesus to a follower of Jesus. But in that moment, you're saved, you're forgiven, you're born again, you're converted. It all happens in an instant. This morning, we see that when people heard the message of Jesus preached to them by Peter, that 3,000 people entered a relationship with Jesus in an instant. These 3,000 people were in an instant saved, converted, forgiven, born again. In this moment, they went from not being in a relationship with Jesus to being in a relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, I want to give you four truths that we see here in this text that are always present when someone truly enters a relationship with Jesus. And the reason for this is twofold this morning. First... Again, so that we can help lead other people who are not followers of Jesus, help understand this moment, but also even for some of us in this room here today, to evaluate, am I truly in a relationship with Jesus? And so the first, for someone to enter a relationship with Jesus, they must first hear the gospel message. And that's what happens here in this passage. The Bible says that Peter has preached the gospel to them. He says, with many other words, he's telling them, be saved from this generation. He's telling them, pointing them to Jesus. And the gospel message is very clear. It is that the Son of God came to this world sinless. He gave himself as an offering for our sin on the cross and that he was buried and that he rose back to life three days later. This is the gospel message. But the Bible says that none of us can come into a relationship with Jesus until we have heard that message. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? Friends, we must remember that everyone who becomes a follower of Jesus must first hear about Him in some way. And the primary way this happens is by us sharing the gospel with people around us. We cannot take for granted that everybody around us has heard the gospel once. And that's not true. That's not true in North Jefferson County. I tell you, another thing we can't take for granted is that the moment you share the gospel with them may be the time that they hear it for the first time the Holy Spirit uses it and they're ready to respond and so we need to do that but that's the first step that's the first thing that must happen for someone to enter a relationship with Jesus secondly for someone to enter a relationship with Jesus they must be convicted of sin notice in verse 37 it says "And when they heard this they were pierced to the heart That word pierced to the heart, that phrase, it means to be brought to sudden sorrow. The fact that they were brought to sudden sorrow shows us that there was something in the gospel message that, that pierced them, something that caused them to struggle, something that caused them to be broken in this moment. And the truth is, the gospel message always begins with man's sinfulness and separation from God. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that all humanity is sinful. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, the Bible says that all of us, like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. In Romans three ten, the Bible says there is no one righteous, no, not one. Not one. There's not one human being on this earth that is righteous, which means to be in right standing with God. And when we hear that word through the gospel message, the Bible says God uses that to convict us, ...of our sin. John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is God on this earth. This is God in us, around us. And it says, He comes to convict the world... ...concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The first message that the Holy Spirit preaches... ...is to remind us of our sin. Now when we think about the word conviction... ...we usually think about it in a courtroom setting. It is somebody who is being charged with a crime... And once the evidence is laid out before everyone, the judge and the jury has seen it all. And if somebody is convicted, it means that they have been proclaimed guilty. And this is what happened to those who, hear, who heard Peter's sermon. They were pierced to the heart because God had revealed through the Holy Spirit that they were guilty before him. All followers of Jesus must have had that moment when God utterly wrecks us by revealing to us our guilt and separation from Him. Now, this is what we need to understand. This is not a moment of minor uncomfortability. But rather, this is a moment of deep sorrow and dread for the state of your soul before a holy God. The day of conviction is both the best day and the worst day of your life. It is the worst day of your life because you are wounded by the Holy Spirit. You realize that, man, I am at odds with God. I'm not a good guy. I'm not a good girl. I am deserving of God's wrath. But it's also the best day because in that moment you start looking for a Savior, which then leads you to Jesus. You know, the Bible gives us tons of examples of people walking in conviction. When Peter first had that moment of conviction, when he recognized who Jesus was, he said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. God, I can't even be in your presence. The Apostle Paul, when he was convicted, he didn't eat or drink for three days. In order for someone to enter into a relationship with Jesus, we must be convicted of our sin. Unless we have passed through God's, forget, God's conviction, you cannot receive his salvation. The Bible says that heaven is filled with people who were redeemed from sin, rescued from sin, forgiven from sin. Heaven is not filled with people who saw themselves as basically good people that just needed to add Jesus on top of their already so, so already righteous resume. That's not the gospel. Jesus didn't come to make your life better. Jesus came to rescue a sinful enemy of God. This is the gospel. and we got to understand the bad news before we can really grasp the good news. And so that's where conviction must happen for somebody to enter a relationship with Jesus. Thirdly, in order for someone to enter a relationship with Jesus, they must repent of their sin to God. If you look at verse 38, they said to Peter, well, what shall we do? He says, repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Now, I always have to take a time out here. A lot of denominations will take that passage of Scripture to say that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Well, if you actually break that passage down in the Greek, that's not what that uh, passage is saying. It's saying that you can be baptized because you've been forgiven of your sins. But the main thing we want to notice here in this passage is he calls them to repent. The word repent means to change one's mind on an issue. Usually, in a situation where one person has offended another person. To ask someone to repent is not just asking, it's not just telling that person to ask for forgiveness, but also ask for forgiveness and change their behavior. Now, I have a four year old. His name is Isaiah. We call him Zay Zay. And uh, he is wild, man. And, And if I come home today and he is drawing me a mural with his crayons on our living room wall which is not beyond the scope of possibility, okay? And I were to say to him, Isaiah, no, that is wrong. And he looks at me with big eyes because he can turn it on immediately. I've never seen a kid who can cry so quick and tears. And he says, I'm sorry, Daddy. As he continues to draw, <laughs> this is not repentance. <laughs> hey, bud, you got the confession part down, but you're missing the change of behavior. Repentance is a combination of confession and action I remember several years ago when I was in Arkansas I got to see a friend of mine named Steve come to faith in Christ Steve was legitimately six foot eight six foot nine he looked like a professional basketball player and one Sunday morning he came barreling down the aisle to come and say he wanted to give his life to Jesus and when he hugged me it's like he I, I disappeared in Steve's arms I got to lead in faith to Christ and he was came with his wife Christy And I found out that next day they showed up in the office. He said, Zach, can you meet with us? I said, well, sure. And he sat down with me and he was explaining to me that Christy, his wife, was not his wife. That they've actually been living together, cohabitating together for almost a decade. But he knew enough of the Bible. He knew enough of God's design for things. Even the Holy Spirit revealing it to him in his heart... That them living in that situation, living in the same home, uh, walking in sexual intimacy, these things outside of of marriage was not God's design. But because God had done such a work in him, he said, Zach, we come, we want to get married. I said, well, Steve, that's awesome. We started walking to him through that. We made a plan for the next day. He met me again. This was on Tuesday. We walked into the back of our church uh, our church yard there. We had a gazebo, and it was just me, Steve, and Christy, and I was going to marry them on that little gazebo area. And I will never forget it because uh, when he went to hand me her ring, I dropped it. It went through the, the grates in the gazebo. I had to pause the ceremony, crawl underneath the gazebo with spiders and all kind of stuff, praying, oh, God. Help me find this ring, you know, and praise the Lord, he did. We came up and I finished the ceremony. Let me say something to you here today. First off, if I ever marry you, don't give me the ring. Y'all handle that. Okay, second thing, genuine repentance is seen. Genuine repentance. Now listen, it doesn't mean that you're going to make everything, every decision right. You're still going to mess up. But you will see genuine repentance. And as Christians, we will continually have to repent. There's going to be repentance every day. That doesn't mean that you have to get saved over and over and over again. It doesn't mean when you sin, you're out of a relationship with God. You've got to repent to get back in a relationship with God. That's not the way that works. But the first moment of repentance, when you truly say, God, I'm a sinner, that's what saves you. And it should bring about change in your life. Some of you are here this morning and you've never truly repented of your sin. And because of that, you've never felt God's grace and mercy wash you of your sin. Or maybe you do know Jesus, but you're running from God. You've got some unconfessed sin in your life and your relationship with him is hindered. Man, today I encourage you, whether you're entering a relationship with Jesus or you're just renewing your intimacy, let repentance be that that pressures you towards God today, that you could leave here being able to sing the words of that old hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Man, that's what Jesus does. And then finally, when someone enters a relationship with Jesus, God makes them new. God makes them new. When somebody really enters a relationship with Jesus, he does something on the inside. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Everyone who is truly a follower of Jesus has had that moment. Where you went from being one person to now you found Jesus and you became a different person. Suddenly things that you once desired, you don't desire anymore. You don't desire at the same level. And suddenly things that you never desired before, like loving God, going to church, trying to learn more about Him. You suddenly desire. Why is that? Because God comes to live within you. In the latter part of verse 38, Peter tells them, once that you repent of your sins, he says, And you will receive the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 27, hundreds of years before Jesus spoke about this day. He said I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you'll be careful to obey my ordinances. The reason why people become new when they come to know Jesus. Is because God comes to live within them. Some of you today in this room, you feel lost in life with no direction. Some of you feel stressed like everything in life lands on you. Some of you feel empty like life has no meaning. And that very well could be today because God is not alive in you. But you can today. You can, t- you can enter a relationship with Jesus. Anytime I do a wedding, I always do the picture of, I'll, I'll present the gospel afterwards. It's a beautiful picture of the groom standing at the front and the bride coming towards him. Well, In the New Testament, the Bible uses those terminologies. The bride refers to the church, followers of Jesus, and the groom refers to Jesus, the bridegroom. However, 2,000 years ago, something different happened. It was, it was the, the, the marriage picture in reverse. Instead of a bride coming to the bridegroom, What happened was, is that bride was standing up front of the potential bride. The lost world was standing up front and the groom approached the bride. And that's what the gospel is, is that Jesus came to this earth. He came into our brokenness. He came into our emptiness. He came even into our sinfulness and said, I am coming for you. Some of you in this morning today, you need to hear that. You need to hear that God came for you. Not just for the world, but for you. Yes, for everybody, but you are included in everybody. came to you. He knows your name. He knows your situation in life. He knows your sin and brokenness. And He came for you today. Sometimes we need to remember that. So the first mark of a true disciple of Jesus is somebody who has entered into a relationship with Jesus. They heard the gospel they have repented of sin. They've become new in Jesus because they were convicted by their sin. And then the second mark of a disciple of Jesus very quickly is this is that they are connected to a church. In this passage, it shows us that just after the gospel is preached, that this great crowd of 3,000 people were saved, and immediately they were connected to the church. In fact, if you look at verse 41, it says it uses a term here, and that day they were added. About 3,000 souls. Now, where were they added is the question. Well, now, now, obviously, they were added into the kingdom of God. They went from not being children of God to being children of God. They were added, as Scripture would say, their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. But if you look in context of this passage, he's not talking about them being added necessarily in the kingdom of God. That's true. He's talking about them being added to the church. In verses 42 through 47, you can see an immediate identification of these people being represented in the church because he starts referring to them in plural language. After this moment of salvation, it refers to them as they, everyone, one mind, together, theirs. These words all point to not just individuals, but also to a new community of Jesus followers that he was creating on this earth. The word church means a called out assembly. Here in Acts chapter 2, all these people had individually come into a relationship with Jesus. And now God was leading them to come into relationship with the church. Romans chapter 12, verse 5, the Apostle Paul reminds us about everyone who is a follower of Jesus. That we are also intended to be a part of the church. It says, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Isn't that unique? Individually, which is my personal relationship with Jesus, part of one another. So when I come into a relationship with Jesus, I am then it's God's plan for me to immediately connect to a church. A disciple of Jesus should enter a relationship with Jesus and then connect inside of a local church. If you're here today and you say, Well, I know that I know Jesus and I want to be a disciple of, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, well then. your first step of discipleship would be to connect in a church. If I'm having a conversation with somebody, and they say, well, Pastor Zach, I want to grow in my walk with Jesus, but I don't really believe in organized religion. I don't want to join a church. Well, then I'm going to have to stop and say, listen, I can't disciple you. Because that's the first step. That's going to be one of your first steps. Now, when we talk about somebody being connected in church, we usually talk about going to church, gathering for worship like we're doing this morning. And hear me, that absolutely is part of it. D.L. Moody talked about the value and importance of gathering at church. He said, Church attendance is as as vital to a disciple as transfusion of rich and healthy blood is to a sick man. Coming to church, being here matters. It does matter immensely. But Billy Sunday spoke honestly to the fact that there is more to being a Christian and being connected in the church than just coming to worship on Sunday morning. This is what he said. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian or a disciple any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. I thought that was good. These quotes remind us that, yes, being connected to a church matters, but that goes far beyond just being in church attendance on Sunday morning. True followers of Jesus do not go to church. They are the church. By, by us bringing, coming together in our faith, in our hearts, in our actions, in our service, in our mission, we bring about the will of God and the presence of God on this earth. We bring Jesus to this earth by gathering in the church. So let me give you a few foundational actions that followers of Jesus, that disciples of Jesus do that are truly connected to the church. First, those who are truly connected to the church, they are baptized. Notice in verse 41 that baptism automatically was a symbol of them being connected to the church. Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. So their baptism was really that first step before they were added into, counted into the church for generations. Baptism has been the, the front door into church membership. Let me say this to you here today. At Enon Baptist Church, we're praying for a culture of invitation. One of the things that we are praying this, uh, this, during this uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting is that people would, God would draw people to Enon, that he would draw lost people, he'd draw laborers. Everything that we do here at Enon is always open to anyone at any time. But to become a member of the church... You have to be a genuine follower of Jesus because the church is made up of people who are born again who have personally given their lives to Jesus. And what is the marker of that? Baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism shows that you are a follower of Jesus. This morning, we got to baptize three people this morning. Their baptism didn't bring them into a relationship with Jesus. It just let the world know that they're already Christians. I use this example all the time. When I take my wedding band off, Kimberly and I have been married almost 17 years. I can take that band off and I'm just as much married as I am without it on. That ring doesn't make me married. That ring just shows the world that I am married. Baptism doesn't bring me into a relationship with Jesus. It just lets the whole world know that I am in relationship with Jesus. And so for us here today, that first step of being connected in the church is to publicly identify in baptism that I am a follower of Christ. And so if you want to connect in church as a disciple, you need to be baptized. And that's why you can't baptize yourself. Even the act of baptism itself reminds us we need other people. Go and be baptized. We need the church. And secondly, those who are truly connected to the church, they are gathered. Like we said earlier, coming to church isn't everything that goes along with being connected to church, but it is a huge part of it. Gathering together on Sundays for worship and life groups, and even gathering during the week for things like Wednesday night equip classes and other opportunities to serve, they are vital to our, our, our health and our growth in our discipleship journey. Look at the word in Acts 2:44. It says, And all of those who believed were together. That word together, when you think about the church, that's the word that needs to come to mind. Together. Now, we all know that there are times and seasons in our lives where gathering might not be possible. You may have to go away for work for a season. Or you may have sickness or vacations or other things like that. And that is understandable. But listen to me this morning, church. Those things should be the exception and not the norm. And why is that? It's you vitally need the church. And the church needs you. Jude said in Jude one twenty that we are to build yourselves up on your most holy faith. We build each other up. When I get to see one another in the hall and, and I get to pray with one another, or somebody prays on me or checks on me, it builds my faith. When I get to hear David in the choir singing, he talks about I will not be shaken. It stirs my soul. When we get to hear and see people who have just lost loved ones worshiping the Lord with their hands raised, either in the choir or across the room, it shows God, you are still worthy of all worship, even in our hardest of situations it builds one another up. You know there's coming a day. I've got a, a passage right here on the pulpit, 1 Corinthians 13:12, for we see now dimly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Man, I listen. Come Lord Jesus. That's the greatest hope of my life. The greatest hope of my soul is one day I'll get to see my Savior. You no know, folks, listen, that day's coming and that's real. But in the in between time, if I need a handshake from Jesus, if I need a hug from Jesus, if I need to experience the love of Jesus, I'm going to get that through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to get that through the Word, but I'm going to get that tangibly through the church. We get to be Jesus to one another. So you being here is not just about you. It's about what you bring to others. And then thirdly, those who are connected to the church are united. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46 We see that there was a supernatural unity among those who were followers of Jesus. The Bible says that day by day they were continuing with one mind in the temple. Now the term one mind didn't mean that they were all focused on the same things about everything. If you would have taken a poll of the first church on their favorite food or their favorite color, I promise you it would have been different. Some of them may like peppers in their hummus. Or some of them might like different types of fish or whatever they ate during that time. Listen, that that would have been across the board. But what he's saying there when he talks about them being of one mind, their oneness of mind was not dependent on minor trivial things that dealt with preference, but rather their oneness of mind was founded on their agreements on the priorities for the Christian life and for the church. What did they do here in Acts 2? The Bible says that they they gathered every day for prayer, that they cared for one another, they were selling their things and caring for one another, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the Bible says that The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they they cared about evangelism. So what did they care about? What was the priority? What was their unity based on? It was based on prayer. It was based on the preaching of God's Word. It was based on caring for one another. And it was based on winning lost people to Jesus. Friends, a sign of a mature disciple of Jesus is someone who sees that their greatest focus of the church should be how we pray, how we preach, how we love people, and how we win souls. And not personal preferences, especially in the styles of music, the color of the carpet, or the furniture in the building. Can I get an amen there today? So many churches struggle with division and infighting. And it always goes back to them being caught up in preference. When they miss the greater priorities. Problems like this honestly come down to a discipleship issue. Yes, at times in the church, we've got, to make issues, we've got to make decisions on things like preference. And we've got some of those coming up here at Enon in the days ahead. In those situations, the best answer has to be not my will, but oh Lord, your will. And in that moment, what is best that we may worship Jesus and reach lost people around us? How do we focus on the main things? And then lastly, those who are truly connected to the church are serving. If you read through this passage along with the rest of the New Testament, it's easy to see that connection in the church immediately means that you are serving in the church. If you look down through our passage, you see there's so many different ways people were serving here. They were serving by giving financially. There were those who were blessed above and beyond. It wasn't just that they were giving their tithes, but they were able to sell property and lands and give to people who were in need. Some people, God has blessed you financially to give above and beyond generously. That's a way you can serve. Some people, God has blessed you by being able to make meals or open up your homes or teach the Word. There's so many areas you see in this passage where people are serving. If we want to be mature disciples of Jesus, we must be connected to the church. And that means putting our hands to work for the kingdom of God. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Zach, I'm ready to serve. And you're willing to put your yes on the table. This is what you can do. Take that little blue card of the seat back in front of you. And on the back where there's a place where you can write a prayer request, just write these three words on there. Ready to serve. Give us your name and phone number and we'll find a place to plug you in. We'll find something that meets your giftings and your spiritual uh, uh, gifts that God has given you. But this morning, as we prepare to wrap up, this is the greatest call. The first two marks of a disciple of Jesus are that you have entered into a relationship with Jesus and that you have connected to the church. Now, I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to come back up as we prepare to close this morning and I was praying about how we could close, and and the Lord reminded me even this morning. You know that, hey, this has been a hard week for our community. You know, one of the things that we love about this North Jefferson area is that uh, that we are connected in our schools. And Mortimer Jordan High School is probably our our greatest connection point as far as schools around here. And it's, it's been a hard week with the passing of a great man, Mr. Mark Ridgeway. And I encourage you, man, please continue to pray for that family, pray for Miss Connie, pray for all those that are involved teachers and individuals that were there, man there were some heroes in those moments people that, uh, one of our um, we have a lot of first responders at our church that are there I got to pray with one of them this last week You know, most of us in our life, if, if we're blessed, you know, we'll have one or two moments in our life that kind of seared in our memory of images we wish we'd never see you know, this first responders man, they, they share all of our moments, you know, and so pray for those guys, but This was something that happened, though, in that moment. Uh, Craig Kennedy, who's the principal at Mormon Jordan High School, he's a a friend of mine. I got to pray with him that Thursday morning before he addressed the student body. And uh, he walked in there, and he obviously addressed the students and addressed the situation. But then he started turning to what a great man... Mark Ridgway was and I I remember Mr. Ridgway being there when I was in in high school and again the first passage that came to my mind was blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God he's just a sweet, humble, kind man and then Mr. Kennedy started talking to these students and this faculty, started talking about him and then he came to that moment where he stopped being a principal and God put on him the mantle of a pastor and he said but let me say something about my friend Mark Ridgway right now without a shadow of a doubt He is in the presence of his Lord and Savior, Jesus. And he is new, and he is where he will always be. And this is what he said in that moment. And I pray, Lord, let Craig Kennedy be the principal of Mormon Jordan High School until he's 175 years old. He said, and Mark Ridgeway would want you to know right now that if you were to enter eternity right now, are you certain where you would spend eternity? And if you're not, then you need to get that right Today. And then he prayed in Jesus' name over everyone in that audience. Can we just praise the Lord for Craig Candidate in that moment? Yeah. Here is the truth. He called people to a reality of eternity. Eternity doesn't cross our mind that often. But the Bible says that God has set eternity in our hearts. We contemplate it. We think about it. It's something that's there. Here's a reality. Entering into a relationship with Jesus is how we assure our eternity is with Him. Because without Jesus... We are still abide under the wrath of God. We are still guilty whether we know it or not. But Jesus gave His life as a free gift, as a free sacrifice that we might really know Him. And those who know Him, He washes us of our sin. He makes us new and He invites us into His plan and His purpose. And this is what Jesus would want you to know this morning. That if you don't know where you stand with Him, if you don't know where you would stand with Jesus, then today is that day. The scriptures would say, today is the day of salvation. Right now in this moment, you can be born again. You can have walked in here one person and leave today a child of God. And if you'd like to do that this morning, I'm going to invite everybody in this room just to bow your head just for a moment. Maybe close your eyes. And I want you to draw a circle around yourself. Kind of think of yourself in just a quiet moment. And I want you to hear the voice of God. Do you know that if you were to leave this earth today that you would spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? If you're not sure, listen, that doesn't cut it. And if you're not sure, it's very unlikely you've been born again because you know that. And if you feel the conviction of God right now, you feel the weight of your sin, your need for Jesus. Oh God, would you do that right now? Would you let people know their sin but Lord I pray that you'd also let them see the Savior Jesus loves you this morning friends and he wants to save you you can call out to him right there where you are would you pray a prayer like this would you say dear Jesus right there to God in your heart to the Lord would you pray that dear Jesus save me forgive me of my sin I turn to you. Save me, Jesus. I give my life to you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. This is just between you and I. But if you're asking Jesus to save you this morning, or you did, just between me and you, I just want to be able to pray for you, and it's good to be able to respond in some way. Would you just look up at me right now? Nobody's looking around, I promise you. Amen. Others in this room, you say, man, that's me. I ask Jesus to save me. Just glance up. Keep your eyes on me. I'm, I'm surveying the room here. Is that you here today? Just keep your eyes on me till I amen. Others in this room right now, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. I gave my life to Jesus this morning. Would you just glance up? If I didn't see you, man, you can just slip your hand up right there where you are and slip it right back down. This is what I'm going to encourage you to do in these next few moments. As we worship, and you can take out that little blue Connect card and seat back in front of you, and you can mark on there, I gave my life to Jesus. There's a little place you can check that. And we'll get in touch with you. One of our ministers will get in touch with you about how to take some next steps. Or you can come let one of our pastors know. Secondly, this morning, you say, Pastor like I am a follower of Jesus. And I know that I have repented of my sin, but I know that I'm far from him today. And I need to repent afresh. I need Jesus to do a fresh work work in my life if that's you this morning would you just look up at me you say Pastor Zach I just need Jesus to do a fresh work in my heart and life would you just glance up at me right there where you are that may be you need to connect in the church you need to follow through in baptism let me say something we've got everything ready this morning you can be baptized right now we can baptize you before you leave this morning you can set that up in the days ahead or maybe some of you are ready to serve and you need to take that blue card out and ride on the back of it and say, I'm ready to serve, or you need to join this church family. I'm going to tell you, encourage you, as we sing here in just a few moments, do business with God. Say, God, I want to be a disciple of you. I want to be connected in the church, and I want to know that I'm in a relationship with you. If you call out to him, he'll hear you right there this morning. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, I pray in Jesus' name, would you move everyone in this room to a moment of decision. God, what do we need to do today in light of your word. And I pray, God, give us faith and courage to respond. In Jesus' name.